sometimes individuals, we preachers in the fulfilled camp are accused of saying that the second coming of Christ was only the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. I don't think that's correct. I think the destruction of the city of Jerusalem was a sign that Jesus returned. And he returned to give his salvation presence to the church. Now in Matthew 19 we have the picture of the return of Christ. He would rule the nations with a rod of iron. And I believe this is the picture of the transition of the covenant when the gospel became the universal standard of judgment for all of mankind. And the Bible says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together for the supper of the great God. I believe this is the Lord's Supper. You see, Jesus promised that he would not eat of that bread that was broken on his behalf. And he would not drink of the cup that represented his shed blood, which is simply a picture of his life being poured out for us until it was fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He would say in Matthew 26 and verse 29, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now in churches of Christ we were taught that this was the day of Pentecost. The passage teaches no such thing. Because everything wasn't fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. He was talking about the time when his presence would be with his church in the fulfilled kingdom. And in the fulfilled kingdom, he would be partaken of the Lord's Supper in a new way. Now the Corinthians were suffering. They were yearning for the presence of the Lord. They were in the time of the great trouble and the distress of 1 Corinthians 7, 26, which is Jacob's trouble of Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 6 through 9. And as they partook, they were in the building process of the church, yearning for Jesus to come. And as they ate and as they drank, they partook in the death of the age, yearning for the presence of Christ. For they were showing the Lord's death until he comes. Now the phrase until doesn't mean they're going to cease having the Lord's Supper. Any more than in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 5 than when Noah saw that the waters had receded and on the tenth month and the first day of the month the tops of the mountains were were seen the waters continued to recede and the word until means I saw they were given hope they knew that the rest of the promises of God were going to be fulfilled in Romans chapter 5 and verse 13 sin was in the world until the law Was sin in the world after the law? I'm pretty sure it was. It was manifested in a new way. The Corinthians are struggling. They are suffering in the kingdom. And they are yearning and waiting for the return of Christ. The church of Corinth was born in the synagogue. Acts 18. 
It's a Jewish persecution that they were simply under. All the Jewish leaders went to Jerusalem for that last Passover feast, and their persecution then became over. And when that temple was destroyed, and the news of the dismantling of the temple came, and the spiritual gifts would come to an end at the return of Christ, they would know that they had the return of Jesus. And that next Lord's Day, when they came together, they were with Jesus in a special way in the Supper of the Lord. In Jude 12, where the false teachers feasted with them, they were eating the Lord's Supper. Also in 2 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Corinthians 5, when the Bible says, With such one know not to eat, it is in the context of gathered together in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4. He's not talking about a common meal. You and I have been taught. That's a false doctrine. He is talking about the Lord's Supper. We are gathered together into one place, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 17. They come together to partake of the Lord's Supper. We come together now in the fulfilled kingdom of God. And we are the ones that share the presence of God in an everlasting kingdom. And I contend with every ounce of my being that because my Lord is with me, I am partaking with him now. And I'm remembering the suffering of the broken body of Christ, which represented first the broken body of Israel. And when his blood was shed, it represented that his life was poured out because life is in the blood. And I don't know that we can ever get through the profundity and the importance of what we're about to do. We remember for thousands of years, as Christians had, but we're the ones that see the fulfillment of Christ with us, broken on our behalf. Blood, life poured out. That same blood or life was given in heaven as a sacrifice. And Jesus returned, I believe, in the great supper of the Lord. And this is the supper of the Lord. And Christians are still obliged on the first day of the week to gather. My preterist friends who have given up the church, I suggest perhaps that's why they have never influenced our brotherhood like they should have. We are meeting together on the first day of the week in the fulfilled kingdom. And we are the individuals who are continuing the everlasting kingdom in its teachings. And we're partaking with the Lord today in a fulfilled kingdom. And so we partake. We're going to partake of that unleavened bread. Now Jesus suffered, and he certainly suffered intensely. One of the purposes of the suffering of Christ was to remove Israel from the law, which demanded physical punishment for sin. And so, as the Bible says, through his stripes, we are healed. The first ones that are healed are Israel. And aren't we thankful that we don't live under the old covenant law? We have greater promises, a greater law, and we have the presence of Christ. And it's certainly a law, but it emphasizes relationship. Today, as we remember now, the blood that was shed was something far deeper than simply the physical blood of Jesus being shed. God demanded an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a wound for a wound, and a life for a life. When we sin, we die, and Jesus had to pay that penalty. He died on the inside, separated for God. The sacrifices was accepted. It was accepted by God, and so he could be received. But when blood was shed in the Old Testament, and you took, in, you, you, you took innocent blood, you took innocent life, it represents life. 
That's what it does. It represents Jesus' life poured out on the cross for us. And so as we remember the Lord, as we partake of the fruit of the vine, in the marriage supper, in the celebration, in the victory over the nations, and we rule over them now by virtue of the gospel, let us remember what we are doing. There was a contribution established in the first century. There was a great need for the drought that Agabus had announced in Acts chapter 11. I was going to affect the ancient world. And so the Gentile churches would take a contribution in order to have what they had beforehand before Paul would give so they would take that bounty and share with their Jewish brethren. Some suggest that was the only purpose of that particular uh, gift. I don't believe that's true at all. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 6, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 1, As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. But what did he tell the churches of Galatia? In Galatians 6 and verse 6, he's supposed to communicate unto him who teaches in all good things. You see, the preachers were supported by this contribution. When Paul says in Galatians 6 verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that she also reap. He's talking about whether or not you're going to support the preaching of the gospel. And then in verse 8, He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, excuse me, Galatians 6 verse 9, we will reap in due time if we faint not, and as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them of the household of faith. And there's the authority, not only for paying the preacher, but for benevolence in the Lord's church. And out of the contribution to the brethren first, not the brethren only. Galatians 6 verse 10 is directly tied to 1 Corinthians 16 verses 1 and 2. And today, in the fulfilled kingdom, you'll never spend your money in a better way than to support the church of our Lord and especially a fulfilled church. And where we get the idea that somehow God is pleased, that we don't have to support the local congregation in which we're to gather together. I don't know where these brethren get these ideas, but I'm not one of them. And not for one moment will I give any brother quarter who believes that kind of nonsense. No wonder they fizzle out into nonsense. Brethren, we've got the truth. We've got an opportunity to change our brotherhood in the next 40 years. We need to root out all the vestiges of futurism, restore balance and love in the presence of the Lord and to the congregations. But let's support. Let's support. And support as much as we can.